I'm Yafa Sakija, the CEO of Beneplan, a Canadian health benefits provider. And today I want to talk about fertility coverage. Let's talk about some facts and some myths. Fact, according to the Trio Fertility Clinic in Toronto, one in six couples of reproductive age, age 18 to 43, are having a hard time conceiving. Some of those people in that statistic are having secondary infertility, meaning that they can have one child, but they could not have a second. Many people are going into debt and borrowing money from their families in order to grow or start their family. So that's a fact. You know, another fact that we have here in Canada, actually, at least in Ontario, as of the recording of this podcast, is that there are some government-funded fertility treatments. And so I want to talk about what those are, but I also want to talk about what they don't cover and how that's limiting. So in Ontario, um, if you are under the age of 43, you are eligible for one cycle of IVF or in vitro fertilization, one treatment cycle per patient. And you could be eligible for one additional cycle if you're carrying a baby for someone else, i.e. acting as a surrogate or gestational carrier. Um, Then there's artificial insemination and intrauterine insemination. So IUI or AI. That is injecting the sperm directly into the uterus and it's a type of artificial insemination. There's no government coverage for that at all. And the key is that governments also are not covering any fertility drugs needed. So the average amount of fertility drugs needed per IVF cycle is about $5,000 and about $1,000 needed every IUI or AI cycle. So that's, you know, artificial insemination as a form. You know, when we look at genetic testing, storing sperm, eggs, or embryos, that's also not covered by the government. And so some private health plans might cover it and some might not. And so I want to talk about the landscape and really talk about, well, who chooses, who decides whether this is covered or not? Um, Why do we even need to care about paying for it? And then how you as an insurance broker can really help a lot more patients um, through your influence. And when I say help patients, it's because really we're at a time when more people are struggling with fertility. It's becoming more expensive. According to Trio Fertility Clinic, the average amount of rounds it takes to conceive a baby through IVF is two. So it generally doesn't always stick the first time, but it does vary in age and diagnosis. And so really we're looking at a world where only the rich can afford to have a child. And so this just personally, you know, resonates with me because I I feel like you know, if we as insurance professionals or as benefits brokers have the choice to use our influence, well, are we going to use our influence for good to say, well, what does the next generation of Canadians look like? And is it that only the rich are going to be able to afford having children or not? Well, you know, if that sounds a little bit extreme, I just want to share some other facts with you that Trio had shared with me. You know, first of all, why should we pay for this? Well, you know, having issues conceiving is a medical condition. People have an underlying medical reason for not getting pregnant. Um, You know, some people think it's like getting plastic surgery. No, they are sick. For example, the husband might have no sperm. You can have sex until you're blue in the face. Um, And then for some reason, some people still think there's a frivolous, you know, motivation behind wanting to get support with fertility and having to pay out of pocket. Even the language that our industry uses, um, can be a little bit offensive to some people. So when we read Canadian insurance contracts for benefits, they might say lifestyle drugs such as fertility coverage is not covered. So, you know, according to this clinic, the Trio Fertility Clinic, they said, can you imagine if 
You said to someone, well, cancer drugs are a lifestyle choice. I mean, that's really offensive to someone. Um, the clinic also said it's really not about mostly age. A lot of people think, well, people are old and that was their choice. But really, they're saying actually most of their patients are under the age of 40, which is technically not old. <laughs> um, it's not because they waited so long. It's because there's something wrong with them, something physically wrong and something else that's going on that increases the probability of fertility. They also share that the incidence has gotten worse. So sperm counts of men versus 20 years ago have dropped significantly, according to the World Health Organization, and it's sounding the alarm. It's very much environmental for men, according to Trio Fertility. They're saying that plastics affect sperm count. Too much estrogen, like hormones, and they don't produce as much sperm. Having a cell phone in your pocket. I mean, a lot of this is not <clears throat> fully, you know, we don't have great broad studies yet. But according to these fertility experts, they're saying it, the incidence has gotten worse. And so, I mean, is it possible that you could have gotten pregnant at 18 uh, versus 38? Sure, definitely. But, you know, less and less people in the workforce are getting pregnant at 18. And, you know, maybe there's no fibroids at 24, but now without surgery, you'll never carry a pregnancy anyways. So, you know, why would, why as a society do we even care? Like, why do we care to pay for it? Um, really, I think the key is that when you're ignoring a medical condition, you have to ask yourself, why is this less of a medical condition than psoriasis, than depression, than cancer, than MS? Um, and it just really comes down to reproduction. I mean, you know, it's, you know, we cover a lot of vision. We cover a lot of glasses. Well, guess what? Nobody died of vision or because their glasses did or did not get paid for. Um, you know, in the U.S., it's really mandated in some states that fertility is covered um, under private health insurance plans. So, you know, I just think when you look at that whole landscape from the provider's perspective, that's interesting. And then now let's look at it from the work angle or from the human resource angle. You know, if you're a woman trying to conceive, you really can't tell work. You might have to take a few hours off every day for the next five days every month to go into the clinic for cycle monitoring, blood work, ultrasound in order to go through IVF. And how many excuses do you have to tell work? It forces your hand to tell work. At the same time, you really can't move jobs because you need flexibility. Therefore, women are held back. Um, you know, large companies, enterprise companies typically cover a round of IVF, but small and medium companies typically can't afford it. And, you know, I don't blame them for saying they can't afford it. I see, you know, from the insurer's angle or for the employer's angle, um, we see a lot of small, medium companies, even large companies, removing fertility coverage. Because when, when the insurer sees that there are a number of claims that are popping up under fertility, and it's not just a one-time thing, it's like, two years in a row, that's when that starts to impact premiums. And once it starts to impact premiums and the customer's asking, well, why is it impacting premiums? Or maybe the broker's asking, um, you know, they're going to look to start excluding that. And so over the last 20 years, I pulled some of my peers, some of the, you know, members of the Canadian group insurance brokers um, group, the CGIB, run by a fellow named Dave Patriarch here in Canada. And many people were saying, yeah, I mean, fertility used to be more widely covered, but over the last 10 or 20 years, which is interesting because, you know, that sounds a lot like what we heard about sperm counts dropping over the last 20 years. Um, but over the last 20 years, uh, a lot of companies have removed it. And so, you know, I really feel as if, 
you know, it's not, it's almost like the economics of innocent fraud. No one is out there saying, you know what, it's my goal to make it harder for people to have kids and to cut coverage. There's not one party. There's the provider that has to charge a fair market price for their services. There's the insurance company that see claims and, you know, reflected in premiums. There's the employer who isn't made of money, doesn't have an endless pot of money, needs people to effectively work to do their job. Um, also, sadly, I will be totally blunt about this. We see a lot of employers being discriminatory during the time when someone is starting their family. We see women being laid off in masses through restructuring, you know, and it's it just happened to be around the time that they chose to leave to start a family. So this is really troubling for me. And I think, you know, I want to share with you what I see and the financial impact it makes to premiums to actually have fertility coverage, um, at least with the Beneplan cooperative model, because I do believe it's something that all brokers should be encouraging their customers to include, not to delete for the sake of the next 10, 20 years of people who will be privileged enough to be born in North America, at least. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Generally, if a group is asking us to include fertility coverage and they don't have it right now, we know that someone will use it. So typically we know that the underwriters will say, okay, typically fertility is going to be five to $10,000 from what we see on our block, typically not recurring. So for the pricing, it depends on each case. Um, for a brand new quote, $2,500 per lifetime, you're looking at an increase on health rates of three to 4%. And so, you know, as of the recording of this podcast, let's just say the average health rate is $100 single, $200 family. So when you look at the bottom line premium, depending on how many other benefits that employer has, you could be looking at a 1% change in premiums. So, you know, my goal is not to go out there encouraging people to spend more money just for the sake of spending money. So I want to find a way to actually remove costs. And one of the most, you know, seamlessly elegant ways that you can remove costs is by removing the waste in the drug plan. And so I want to talk about two different types of strategies that you can use that you would, you know, leverage at the same time that you're introducing fertility coverage so that you have a net neutral effect on the bottom line premium, a $0 difference for your customer. And here it is. It's a managed drug formulary. What is a managed drug formulary? First of all, a formulary is just a list of drugs showing what's covered. Insurance companies all use formularies. So you might see a formulary that has 10,000 DINs or drug identification numbers on there. And within that list, it could either be an open formulary or a managed formulary. An example of an open formulary might say, well, based on you know, what Health Canada has approved or maybe the FDA has approved for safety in terms of taking the medication, as soon as that's approved for safety for human consumption, then an insurer or a government might just automatically add it to their formulary. So that's an open formulary. If it's approved by the government, we'll add it. And it's not about cost, it's more about patient safety. A managed formulary, now there's different types. One type of managed formulary is mandatory drug uh, generic substitution, meaning that if there is a generic drug that already exists, then you have to substitute it. You can't just pay for the brand name drug as the insurance company. So that's fine, but you know there are a lot of loopholes or ways ways that drug companies get around this. And you know, with all due respect to pharma, you know, I'm not here to bash pharma. I think you know they play a very important role in healthcare, and and I respect that role. 
But at the same time, many of them, you know, they're for-profit, publicly traded companies looking to make a profit. And so typically when a blockbuster drug or any drug goes on generic or loses their patent, you know, companies don't just sit back and say, well, we're going to stop iterating. We're going to stop our R&D. No, I mean, they're going to go out and see what they can do. And a lot of these brand new drugs that are being approved by the market are so new that no generic exists. But the key is that sometimes it's the same molecule as a drug that already exists, except they've changed the manufacturing process slightly. They put a new name on the drug. Maybe they've changed the filler or the coating. And now you, you know, magically have a new 10-year patent when really it's the same drug that already exists in the market. Um, there were two antidepressant drugs out there, one called Ciprolex, one called Celexa, where that's effectively the dynamic that happened. So a managed drug formulary is a filter. It looks at all the drugs that Health Canada or the FDA are approving, and they say, hold on, we're not just going to throw these 200 new drugs onto the plan. Let's look at them and let's actually determine based on evidence whether this is the right drug. Like, is it a new drug? Is it cost effective? Is it safe? Or is this the same drug as a lipstick on the pig of something that we've already got? So that, you know, can save, according to our block here in Ontario, Canada, save 3% on health rates. And so there you go. You've got, you, you know, you might be adding 3% for introducing fertility coverage, but then saving 3% by introducing a either the reformulary. So we work with a reformulary group here in Toronto um, through cooperators or the conditional formulary if you're working with Green Shield Canada. And so I think that's really important because that really protects patient health. You're not, you know, meddling or messing with any medicine that people need for their medical condition. All you're doing is cutting down the waste. Now, there's some employers that say, you know what, I don't want headaches. I don't want to change anything. I don't want to mess anything up. I don't want to introduce anything, even if I'm going to save money. That's fine. So if you don't really don't want to disrupt the apple cart in terms of changing what your plan members or your patients or employees might see, you can actually do something called grandfathering. So this is called reformulary select in the case of reformulary or for Green Shield's conditional formulary. Um, you would just put the effective date as of today's date or the date, the future date of the amendment. So what that does is it grandfathers all employees at a point in time so that the only people that see the difference are either brand new employees that were just newly hired or employees that are existing but were prescribed a new drug for the first time. And so the key is that, you know, the reference point, the precedent is different. Now, that said, that doesn't save money right away because, of course, you're not touching anyone's coverage right away. But what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for success. You're putting in a buffer. You're putting in a speed bump. It's almost like putting insulation in your house before, you know, a winter is going to hit. It's really just something that I recommend for everyone. So here at Beneplan, we really do encourage that. Um, you know, I think there's a lot more to this. Of course, it can be political. Everybody has their own opinions. But I think opinions aside, you know, knowing that we've got a bit of a fertility crisis, I do think it's important for brokers to be participating in this discussion. And don't be scared, you know, to talk about it. So I want to hear from you. If you agree with me, let me know. If you disagree with me, let me know. You can find me on Twitter. Um, my handle is at Yaffa Sakija. Um, our Beneplan handle, and, <laughs> Beneplan handle is at Beneplan or Beneplan.ca on Instagram. And of course, you can follow us on LinkedIn, uh, Beneplan Inc. B-E-N-E-P-L-A-N. Thanks for your time and look forward to hearing from you.